Hi, thanks for joining us online. We're glad that you've chosen to access this message. It's so encouraging to know that God is using the ministry of Portico Community Church to touch the hearts and lives of people all across the world. If you have a story to share or a prayer request, we would love to hear from you at info at porticocanada.ca. To support our ministry, you can donate online by clicking on the Donate button at the top right of your screen. Once again, we're so glad that you've joined us. It's our prayer that this message from God's Word will deeply impact your life. We are a lighthouse. Have you ever been in a circumstance in your life? Have you ever been in a circumstance in your life that changed your convictions, that changed what you believe to be true, what you believe to be right? Maybe for you today, um, it's when it comes to parenting. You want to be the best parent for your child, so you've const- you're constantly comparing yourself to other parents, what they're doing, what news articles say, what, what schools are saying, what people are saying, what people in the church are saying, and so you feel yourself being influenced by a storm of opinions, and you feel like you're in a boat just tossing back and forth. Maybe that's you today. Maybe you're here, and today it's about career, where you find yourself changing um, your convictions about career because you're trying to navigate what success looks like. Maybe success um, while you're balancing family life or you're balancing a personal life, uh, a private life, and and you find yourself just constantly tugged back and forth trying to figure out um, what to do next. Maybe someone's telling you to compromise your convictions at work. And, and do something to get ahead, to cut corners where need be, and you know it's wrong. And as a result, maybe you're here today and you've actually lost sight of the reason why you went to this job in the first place, the reason behind it, the goals, the love for it. Maybe you're here um, and it's a relationship thing. Maybe it could be a relationship where you're finding yourself with people that are making you and wanting you to do things that you know in your heart isn't wrong. Maybe this is at school. Maybe this is at university. Maybe this is at work. Maybe this is people that are close to you in your life, those relationships that are tugging you back and forth, but they're making you want to do and suggesting you do things that you know are wrong. The truth is, when it comes to our convictions, convictions are constantly changing. They're being ever so slightly tweaked back and forth as we journey through life. And like this ship that we saw, these circumstances can create storms in our life um, that can put us in danger, whether physically, some of you know that, whether it's spiritually, and uh, emotionally as well. We find ourselves in circumstances like that where we have to change course. And it's times like these where we need lighthouse moments, reality checks, where we have situations like this, these lighthouse moments that put us back on course. And we can either choose to change course in our lives for the better or find ourselves shipwrecked. And often what happens is when society speaks up or there's a new theme or there's a a new um, drive or purpose that society is pushing towards, we typically find ourselves teetering back and forth on what to do, 
What's the right thing to do? What should we do for our family? What should, what should I do uh, for myself? And we find ourselves moving back and forth. So what we actually need in our lives is something that is immovable, that we can trust with everything to guide our lives. Christ is that life house for you and I. And so uh, over the next few weeks, we're going to be doing a new series called Immovable. The idea that trusting Christ changes everything for the better in my life, for the better in your life, and for the, the lives of those around us that we would be in contact with on a daily basis. So this week, um, as you've probably noticed by now, we're going to be looking at how uh, trusting Christ changes what I believe about my convictions. So if you've got your Bibles out, go to Colossians 1, go to your Bible apps, um, and you can get that um, in here, reading the Bible. Uh, if you're looking over the shoulder of someone that's not cheating, it's not school, so feel free to look at your neighbor's Bible as well too. Colossians 1, 3 to 5. Now, let me set this up for you. Here, Paul is writing to the church of Colossae, and he's writing from prison as a result of his faith and his, his sharing the good news, the gospel about Jesus Christ. He's been put in prison, but he hears about this church in Colossae that is doing incredible things, and so he writes to them, but in the letter, he's actually trying to speak against errors that are coming up in, the, in, in discussions, errors of, of people that are coming into the community, coming into the church, and trying to uh, mix and swirl in all these new ideas from different religions, different thoughts, different ways to make sure that, that you would be saved, that you receive salvation. Things that were not in the teachings of, of Jesus, were not, teaching, um, um, were not uh, teachings from the apostles. And so Paul wants to correct that right now. And he's doing this because of all these false ideas that are coming in. And um, this is why Paul, what he does instead, instead of being harsh on the church, he's hearing that they're doing this great job. And so he affirms them in the solid foundations that he had, those immovable foundations. In Colossians 1, 3 to 5, he says this, We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, because we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love you have for God's people, the faith and love that spring from the hopes stored up for you in heaven and about which you have already heard the true message of the gospel. Now, looking up at what Paul is, is telling the church of Colossae, it's clear that trusting Christ changed everything about them, that it changed everything, especially their core convictions about what they need to believe and practice. These were all affected. And I'm sure that you and I today, we can actually speak up. There's some of you in here in this room that when, when you put your trust in Christ, there was a dramatic change in your life. Maybe you saw that dramatic change in a family member's life. And so what happened is you heard the message and your life was changed forever. 
it was completely changed. It was radically changed. Christ literally changed everything. And so you, you have this new life, this new hope, this new energy, and you're thriving. But have you ever met those people that uh, you almost would consider like super Christians? Uh, Michael Jr., the, the Christian comedian, would call them oversaved, or, right? <laughs> they, they would be the type that uh, when you ask them, hey, are you thirsty for a drink? They'd be like, thirsty for Jesus, right? <laughs> um, hey, are you hungry? Hungry for God's word. And you're just like, stop it, okay? Right? But often we can look at these people and think, man, people like this who have been radically changed or, or transformed or who, who are going a different course than maybe what I'm going through, we can look at them and say, you're so heavenly minded that you're no earthly good. That's usually the, the saying that we have when we, when we look at people that are a little over the top. But the church of Colossae was a little bit different. That wasn't the case for them. When it came to them, they were so passionate for God that their case was this. They were so earthly good because they were so heavenly minded. They were so earthly good because they were so heavenly minded. And Paul sees this. And that's our goal today. Our goal would be that we would be so earthly good because we are so heavenly minded. And as a result of this, trusting in Christ who changed their lives and can change our lives, it changes what we believe, our core beliefs in life. More specifically today, I want to talk about our faith, our love, and our hope. One of my favorite quotes, and I, I've, uh, I've used this before here, um, it's from C.S. Lewis. He once said, Christianity, if false, is of no importance, but if true, of infinite importance. The only thing it cannot be is moderately important. And because we hold that message to be true today, because we believe that this is a very important message, who you are in Christ should define who you are in life. Check that out. Who you are in Christ should define who you are in life. I get a lot of questions about, you know, how do I interact with people in my workplace or family who don't know Jesus? Who you are in Christ should define who you are in life. They should see that there's something different about you. I'm not talking about like an oversaved, like my, Michael Jr. would talk about. But in such a way that when crisis comes, they're looking for something immovable. They're looking for someone who's not going to break under crisis, but has a solid foundation somewhere. That's how we need to be acting. Who you are in Christ should define who you are in life. So let's take a deeper look today. Let's look at these core convictions. First of all, if you got your notes out, first of all, trust uh, Trusting Christ changes what I believe about my conviction when it comes to my faith. Faith is belief, trust, and obedience. And this is a conscious decision for us. 
We are, we are making a conscious decision. Often people will say, a lot of my friends will, will look at me and they're like, man, faith is so blind. But the truth is it's not because we know who we're putting our faith in. It's not like I'm closing my eyes and going down the 401, walking, right, trying to cross the street. I know who I'm putting my trust in. I know who I'm putting my faith in. It's not blind. I see clearly because I see Christ, because he's my final destination. I'm going to him. And we need to have that true. Faith is belief, trust, and obedience, and we have this because of the message that we've heard. Romans 10:17 says faith comes from hearing the message and the message is heard from the word about Christ. There's some of you here today who have heard the word about Christ. Maybe it was from family, it was your parents, maybe it was a neighbor, maybe it was a coworker, but you heard that good news and it changed your life. And as a result, Today, you have faith. Whether it's large or small, you have faith because you've heard the word. So all we're doing is simply acting on what God has revealed about his will and his character, which we find in the word of God, which we find from the lips of of saints and believers whose lives have been changed. That's what faith is. We're simply acting on the will and the character of God. Hebrews 11 says, Now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. The Bible actually goes on to even say that without faith, it is impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. You know, often this is where faith can be confused for something else, something that it's not. For example, faith is in a form of spirituality um, in the sense that you have to be a super Christian to have it. You know, a lot of the times we'll have people, well, you know, it's because you're a pastor, that you have faith, or it's, it's because you've been serving God for so, it's because, you know, you obey the Ten Commandments, it's because, right, we make these excuses of why we think that people have faith. Faith, is, uh, faith doesn't guarantee that something good will happen. For those of you who have been in the faith long enough, you would know that to be true. There have been moments in your life maybe where you've prayed over a family member or a friend, wishing and praying and hoping that they would be healed. I remember for me, it was my friend Jason, but he passed away and I didn't understand in the moment why God would allow that. I had the faith, I believed, but he passed away. And then we get to the funeral And there's about 50 people that give their lives to Christ because of Jason's actions. And I realize that sometimes you have to bury a seed to see fruit. Right? Faith doesn't promise that it's always going to be good. Faith isn't a ticket to an easier life. You know that song, I'm on a jet plane, don't know when I'm coming back again. I... 
I wish I was going back to Florida, right? That was really nice. Um, It's not a ticket to an easier life. Um, It isn't a blind leap of faith with no facts. There's actually a lot of facts behind it. There's a lot of truth behind it, and you can experience it. But here's what biblical faith is, apart from what people think other faith is. Biblical faith is confident action to what God has promised. Biblical faith is confident action to what God has promised, and it comes in a variety of results. By faith, the Bible says that some were, uh, went through difficult uh, circumstances, while others, um, um, they, they overcame. They, they went through these difficult circumstances, and they were rescued. While the Bible also acknowledges that there were those who, they had all this faith, but they still died in the end. And it was a result of placing their value in the life to come, not just this life. We see that when it comes to, to faith, some saw the reward from a distance, like Abraham, and welcomed it. While you had others experience God's promise firsthand, like the Israelites going into the promised land. They experienced those things. Either way, those with faith anticipated the reward because of the confidence that they had in God. They were constantly looking to God because they knew and they heard about and read and saw God's character lived out and God's promises. Knowing, and as a result, knowing they could put their hope in something immovable like God. And I'm sure a bunch of you here, most of you here, whether we realize it or not, have experienced this kind of faith. The fact that you and I are still breathing today is a testament of God's faithfulness. And this is the same kind of faith that we need to have today, to believe in Him, trusting at all times, and seeking to do His will, because He's got something better for you and I than we could ever think of ourselves. He's got something better for you than you could ever think of yourself. Think of the best thing that you would ever want in life, and He's got something better than you could think of yourself. That's who God is. That's the character of God. That's the will of God to give you something better than you could ever think of yourself. But you have to have faith. You have to have faith, and we have to follow it through. Jesus gave this parable in the book of Matthew, and in it he he talks about these houses. In Matthew 7, 24 to 27, whoever's taking notes. It said, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house. Yet it did not fall because its foundation was on solid rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rains came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. So in this proverb that we just read, we have two people, both built a house. Both of them built a house, 
uh, house, and both of them experienced difficulty. The difference was that the one who built their life on solid foundation, one built their house on a solid foundation, while the other built their house on shifting sands. Although they looked the same on the outside at the beginning, the end result was disastrous for one. You might know someone, you might have seen that, you know, um, we see those like high school musicals and Grease and, and all those movies of, you know, we, we're, we're in high school, we're in, you know, middle school, we're in university and we see these popular people and we want to be exactly like them, we envy them, you know, oh, you know, they have just such the nicest hair in the world, right? I'm so beautiful. And um, we want to be like those people, right? And then we see those people at the 10-year you know, anniversary of graduation, and like they're, they're still living with their mother, which is not a problem. Like that's, not, that's honestly not a problem. If you live with your mom, that's totally cool. If food all the time, right? Um, you know, they, they have no aspiration, no dreams, no, no career path. They're, they're still, you know, uh, calling, uh, you know, uh, a taxi. They're calling an Uber, and it's not to save the planet, right? It's literally because they haven't even got their driver's license yet, right? Like all these things, and you see these people, and you're like, what, right? Oh, my goodness, It's the same here, right? We can look at these people around us and we can see something we want. But when you're not building yourself on a solid foundation of faith, it's going to crumble eventually. And that's exactly what happened in this parable. James 1.22 says, But don't just listen to God's word. You must do what it says. Otherwise, you are only fooling yourself. When we go back to our video at the beginning of the message, we can listen. Um, we look at this and, and we say we can, we can listen to God and, and allow that lighthouse, which is, is God's word, to guide us home. Or we can fool ourselves like James would say. You're only fooling yourselves if you don't do what it says. We can, we can be that, uh, respond to that lighthouse, or we can fool ourselves and just go our own course and find ourselves shipwrecked. The great thing is the choice is yours today. When it comes to faith, the choice is yours. You choose. Do you want to walk in faith? Then you've got to believe. You've got to trust, and you've got to walk in obedience. That's how you get faith. That's how you have faith. And that's what Paul saw in the church of Colossae. He saw people with immovable faith that put their trust in Christ and it changed everything about them. The other thing is that trusting Christ also changes what I believe about my convictions when it comes to love. Love is a decision. It's an action, not just an emotion. It's an intentional action. As a band that I, I've listened to for a long time, Boston would say it's more than a feeling, right? It has to be more than a feeling when you sing that high, especially. <laughs> um, it's something, I tell you. And it's, it's not something we came up with ourselves. Love isn't something we came up with ourselves. And it's not something we can do absent of God, because God is love. And so anyone in this world 
has to acknowledge that the love they're able to share is because they've experienced the love from the Father. Whether we realize it or not, whatever season you're in, if you're feeling a lack of love, God is love. So what you are experiencing is love. Like I said, we're breathing. We're alive today. That is an act of love. That's an act of faithfulness from God. 1 John 4, 19 to 21 says, We love because he first loved us. He goes on to say, Whoever claims to love God, yet hates a brother or sister, is a liar. For whoever does not love their brother and sister, whom they've seen, cannot love God, whom they have not seen. And he has given us this command, Anyone who loves God must also love their brother and sister. So God is the source of love. God is the source of love. And because he has shown his love to us, we can show it to others. Essentially, God's love for us empowers us to extend that love to others. And just like God intentionally chooses to love us, because that's who he is, we need to be intentionally choosing to love others. When I got married, um, in our vows, we changed it. it we, we took out the solemnly sweareth, right? And uh, we, we just said, I choose you. I choose you. And here's the thing. I choose or I chose her when I made those vows, that covenant to God, And now every day I continue to choose her every day. I commit to that vow that I made three and a half years ago. And I'm not even like 25 years yet and I'm struggling. Oh my goodness. Right? But I made that choice and I choose to stick with it. Even when I'm hurting, when someone hurts me, I choose to love them even though I want to do something that I probably can't say on the microphone because we're recording this. (laughs) But often, often what what can happen, love can be a tricky thing. What can happen is we try to hide bitterness. We try and hide anger towards others, thinking that either no one can see it or that no one cares. Well, hey, as long as I love them, they won't care that I don't show love to them, to the other person. But actually, um, John would say different. John thirteen thirty five says, by this, by your love, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. So you might think bitterness or hatred, anger towards someone isn't affecting you or those around you, but it is. You know, I I can look at a tree full of leaves and still see that dead branch that's hidden from the sun. And it's the same thing with us. We think that we can hide bitterness and anger but it's visible. These things can be seen. 
and will be. And so we need to love not out of emotion, but out of a response to God's love for us. We must choose to love because love is an intentional action and not just an emotion. You know, often when I perform weddings, um, I'll use this quote by Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who was writing in prison uh, during World War II to his niece, was, who was about to get married. And he was responding to a letter where he wanted to give insight on love and marriage. And in it, he said to her, um, it is not your love that sustains the marriage, but from now on, the marriage that sustains the love. It's not love that sustains the marriage, but from now on, it's the marriage, it's the covenant, it's the commitment you made that will sustain the love. In the same way, when you and I said yes to Jesus, or for some of you, you're thinking about this right now, should I accept Jesus in my life as Lord and Savior? Well, for those of you who said yes to Jesus... We joined into a family of God. And so the thing that sustains our love isn't our emotions or how we feel because our emotions and how we feel changes all the time. You get it. You have teenagers. You were a teenager, right? I was pastoring teenagers. That's why I'm a campus pastor now, right? No, no that's not true. I, lo- I, I love the youth. I promise I love the youth. Um, Right? But they're changing all the time. But instead, instead of acting on our emotions and letting those drive this relationship and how we love, instead we're acting on that commitment. We're acting on that commitment or that decision we made. That command that God gives us to love. We get the source from Him. And here's the truth. This is, this is the difficulty is that sometimes, in some cases, it's not always mutual. It's not always mutual. In, in Corinthians, Paul is addressing the church, and he says, I will gladly spend myself and all I have for you, even though it seems that the more I love you, the less you love me. So following this example of love, we see that love will do whatever it takes, even if the love isn't fully reciprocated. It's a decision. It's an action that changes us as we continue to trust in Him. You know, for some of you here, a great test of this, of where your love meter would be, is is asking yourself the question, How am I loving those around me who were also created in the image of God? How am I loving those around me? How am I loving those in my church? How am I loving those in my family? How am I loving those in my workplace, my school? Where would I be? And constantly asking this question. Finally, We have trusting in Christ also changes what I believe about my convictions when it comes to hope. Hope is confidence based upon God's character and promise. Hope is confident expectation 
and a focus on the future. Something uh, or someone I, I think really exuberated this actually just recently uh, passed away. His name was Billy Graham. He was 99 years old and uh, um, he passed away. And uh, he was quoted in saying this, and I know that uh, D.L. Moody said something similar as well. But Billy Graham said this once. He said, someday you will read or hear that Billy Graham is dead. Don't believe a word of it. I shall be more alive than I am now. I will just have changed my address. I will have gone into the presence of God. Talk about a man full of hope whose focus is on the future, whose focus is at home, is on home. And like Billy Graham, we too can have that confident hope of what God has for us in heaven because we know that our future and destination, we know our future destination and our salvation is sure. And as a result, you and I today have the ability to freely live, to freely love, to walk in hope, loving others, committing ourselves to God. And for those of you here today, if you ever find yourself where you're, you're exhausted, where hope seems to be dwindling, and, and things are getting tough, maybe it's a situation at work or, or in your marriage or in, in family life, if there's a moment that you find yourself dwindling, here's one of the keys, is look to your final destination, which is heaven, right? Uh, a sea captain doesn't look at the storm. He looks beyond the storm, right? Where is safety? Where, where is my destination? This is my destination, right? And we need to do the same thing. I love what, I love what uh, Romans 15 says. Romans 15:13 says, "May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in Him, so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit." Where do we get our hope from? Where did the church in Colossae get their hope from? They got their hope in looking to God, looking to their final destination, which was home, which is heaven. That's where they were looking. But here's the thing. It takes patience. We need to be patient. We need to have faith. We need to show love. We need to be full of hope, just like the church of Colossae, and have patience. Romans 8 says, but if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. Patience isn't always easy, but we need to wait and trust in God's perfect timing and wisdom. You need to know today that God never makes a promise that he won't fulfill, but he does make promises that we have to wait at, wait for. For many of you, you might find yourself in a season where <laughs> you're waiting for God's direction. You're waiting for God's wisdom. You're waiting for his leading. 
and you're looking to him and asking and seeking. And let me tell you, that is the perfect place to be. There is no better place that you can be in the waiting than keeping your eyes focused on him. I would say to you today, don't quit. Don't give up hope. Keep waiting, looking for God to guide you as you seek him. Just like the church in Colossae did. There's an author by the name of Dr. Tim Kimmel. And he once said, Lighthouses represent hope to sailors who have lost their way. They're a steady stream of truth that glows through the darkness and marks the safest way through the night. It doesn't matter what season it is for those at sea or what the immediate forecast has churned up. These beacons of grace pierce the darkness and the fog that surrounds them. They bring the sighs of relief from worried captains and cheers from confused sailors manning the sails. Today, Christ is our lighthouse. Christ is our lighthouse. Trusting him changes what we believe about our convictions so that you and I can be immovable, so that you and I can change course, follow his leading, so that you and I can be fixed and steadfast so we can make it back to him and we can help others find their way back to God. Let's pray. Father, I I thank you for... um, Paul's writing here, um, this is, these are real letters, real stories of people who acted out in faith. These are churches very much like ours, that when society was trying to throw in all these different views and opinions, they stayed focused on you, Lord. Their faith was on Christ Jesus. They needed nothing else other than Christ. They loved one another, Father, with everything. They had faith, Lord. They loved. They loved. And they had hope. And so, Father, I pray for anyone in this room that feels like they've got burdens on them where they are in a choppy storm and they're not sure what to do next. Father, maybe their faith is dwindling, their love is is unsure. And their hope is fleeting. I pray, Lord, that you, the lighthouse for all mankind, for all humanity, would shine and bring light to where they need to go. You are immovable, God. You never change. You are that solid rock, that foundation that we need to lead us, to lead our families, to lead our friends, to lead us, to lead those around us that don't know you yet. Lord, I pray that this church would be a lighthouse 
directing and leading people to know you, God, and to make that solid choice to follow you. So, Lord, if there's anyone here who needs to make that choice, Lord, to believe that you are Lord and Savior of their life, Lord, I pray, I pray that they would have just an overflowing sense of, of love, of faith, and hope for those who, uh, who are going through difficult seasons. Father, that they would leave this building and as they get into their car and drive, as they're moving to their destination, Father, that they would grow in their faith, their love, and their hope. God, that you would fill what needs to be filled today. That you would change our convictions for the better as we trust in you. In Jesus' name, amen.